Today's reading is taken from Deuteronomy, chapter four, verses six to fourteen, and chapter five, verses one to seven. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Who will hear about all these decrees and say, "Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people"? What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely, so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children, and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when He said to me, "Assemble the people before me to hear my words." So that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at the time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses summoned all Israel and said, "Here, Israel." The decrees and laws I declared in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestor that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And He said, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me." This is the word of the Lord. To Deuteronomy chapter four and five. My audio. There we go. Yeah. If you can keep your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter four and five as we start this new series、um, through the Ten Commandments. But let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for these laws that you have given、um, to your people to keep and to be foundations of their life. And Lord, we pray now that you would speak these laws and write it in our hearts. That it might shape the way that we live, the way that we love you and love others in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you think about laws and what laws are, laws reveal quite a bit, don't they? Laws reveal something about the lawgiver, uh, their character, what they are like. Laws reveal something about the society, what the society was like, why these laws are necessary. Laws also reveal their values and aspirations um, uh, as a society. I can't say for sure, uh, but many internet sites, I think this is true, um, say that there was a law passed in 1800s in the great state of Florida in the United States to limit farting in public places after 6 p.m., What does that law reveal? Well, it reveals that Floridians do not like the smell of fart. It shows that there was ample farting, apparently, in public. That somebody thought, actually, there needs to be a law against this. And the state legislature passed this law. Um, And some laws... um, Sorry. It shows also their aspiration to be fart-free state in public places after 6 p.m., of course. But some laws, like this one, apparently... Well, pa- they, they do get passed, but they, get, they don't get enforced. And if, you don't get in, if they don't get enforced, they actually get forgotten over time. And apparently, it was one of these cases. Law that was passed, but then forgotten, never enforced, and forgotten. How about the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments. What do they reveal about God and about us? Are they, these, are they just outdated commands that we've outgrown as a society? Or maybe the New Testament superseded that we can actually forget about them. We don't know what they are. Many people actually can't name more than four, three or four out of the ten command, uh, commandments. Can we forget about them? No. The ten commandments were the foundational documents and foundational laws for the new nation Israel. They were very important from the very beginning of their life. Moses received them, as we've seen, directly from God. God spoke these laws to Moses. And when Moses came with these two tablets and saw the golden calf in anger, he broke the tablets. Later on in Exodus chapter 34, God has him inscribe them again. Uh, and, and in Deuteronomy 5, what we read, uh, uh, Deuteronomy is basically a collection of Moses' sermons before uh, God's people entered into the promised land. He recalls how God gave these laws you know, from the mountain, fiery mountain. Um, and he recalls the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5 again for us. And they were so important that they had their own name. They were called Ten Words. Ten words in Exodus 34, 28, Deuteronomy 4, 13, or just words. Um, people could just call them words and they knew exactly what they were talking about because they had that special name in Deuteronomy 5, 22, 9, 10. God then commanded these two tablets to be put in to the Ark of the Covenant, to be carried into the Promised Land, leading God's people. They were supposed to be the foundations of the new Israel, new country called Israel. And there they are to be foundations in governing our relationship with God and others as well. We are starting this new series on Ten Commandments. And as we start, we'll talk about the purpose of the commands and the foundation or the the authority behind them. And we'll then look into the first command and what that means for us. But first, why did God give, give these commands? Well, Moses actually states it for us in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. 
Remember, he, we just read these words, observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. I hope you can see the emphasis here. It's not just for them, for their wisdom and understanding. It's for the nations. But they were supposed to obey these laws to show the great wisdom and understanding for the other nations, for the watching world. But you see, there is wisdom and understanding embedded in these covenants, in these commands. Which is why, but not their wisdom, not their understanding, because he quickly adds in verse 7, what other nation is so great as to have their gods so near to them, the way that Lord our God is near to them. In keeping these commands, uh, Israel was supposed to so wow the world, that watching world, Egypt and Canaan, Moab, Edom, and now these days, as we keep them, China, Korea, US, or whatever, the watching world is supposed to see God's great wisdom in these laws. God, they're supposed to see the flourishing of God's people, that show understanding and wisdom behind them. You might be asking, well, what is an example of this wisdom and understanding that other people don't have that we're supposed to wow the world with? Well, take a look at the structure. Even the structure itself is filled with wisdom, unquestionably. You see, God comes first. The first four have to do with God, and next six have to do with people. And this is something that many commentators comment on. In order to flourish as a society, this must be our order as well. We need to know know the right God. We need to worship the right God because what we worship, who we worship, determine how we relate to others, how we relate to the world, how we relate to things. If we don't have this order right, we will not be able to flourish as God's people. There's wisdom here. But if you dig in a little deeper, there's actually a bigger order. Maybe uh, uh, Dr. Chris Wright is a commentator um, who writes this, who sees a bigger order in this. He says, here, God's priorities for human moral attention here are God in the first three, Society in the fourth, the Sabbath law that's supposed to govern how we work and rest. And family in the fifth. And life in sixth, to not murder. uh, Sex in seventh. And property or money in the eighth and tenth. He sees this broad order here. And then he quickly adds, this is the order, he He says, and he then quickly adds, it hardly needs to be pointed out that in the Western society, at least, modern culture has almost precisely inverted this order of priorities. If this is God's priorities for us, we have put them upside down, he says. Isn't that true? Not just in the West, but in our culture as well. What do we value most as a society? Often it's money. Often it's properties, often it's things. Think, think about all the things that we sacrifice in order to get money. Everything else on this list. Family, life, sex, society. God doesn't even get a mention in our society often. Sex is disproportionately important to us as well. Sometimes even more than life, more than family, more than society, more than God. I think that order is clear in the appalling number of abortions performed around the world. 
Abortions not performed because of medical emergency or dire circumstances, but out of convenience. Because it's inconvenient to have this life, to bring this life into the world. Because sex is more important than life and family and society and God. We have inverted God's order for our life. And friends, from the days of Adam and Eve, we wanted to live our life our own way. We didn't want to order our lives according to God's wisdom. And it did not lead to more freedom. It did not lead to more flourishing. It led to slavery, to idolatry, idols and and, and chaos, uh, chaos and disordered world in which we now live. These commands tell us how to order our lives according to God's wisdom and understanding. It tells us what it means to be freed from idolatry, freed from sin, freed from these other things, and to live as free people, live as God's free people, live as human beings were meant to, uh, how human beings are meant to live by obeying them. We show God's wisdom, understanding. We show life as we're meant to live. And the other world, the people who are watching us, is supposed to be wowed by God's wisdom as we obey them. So the first thing that I want to say is, get to know the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Many people can't even recite them. Come to know and delight in these things and meditate on them and delight in them and keep them. And God should And we we listen to them because God should have the authority over our life. Because he is the one who made us. Yahweh God has made us and that should be enough. But there's more. Look how God grounds these commands. Surprisingly, the opening note of this grand work uh, called Ten Commandments is not actually a command. The opening note is a, a statement. Statement that starts, I am the Lord your God. And Lord, of course, here is Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We ought to listen to him, not only because he's created us, but because of who he is. I am Yahweh. I am the great I am. But not just I am great I am. I am your God. I am your God who is for you. And look what I have done. I have delivered you out of Egypt, this land of slavery. He grounds uh, the Ten Commandments, the authority to who he is, his relationship with us, and what he has done for us. Because he's rescued us. Some of you might recall um, Linsanity about 10 years ago. Linsanity, when this Chinese-American NBA player named Jeremy Lin came out of nowhere to wow the whole world. You know, up till uh, February 4th, when he came out really in this game, he played altogether 55 minutes all season long. 
But then on that day, on February 4th, um, 2012, he scored 25 magical points. I mean, like it was something that really captured the world's attention. You know, he was, he didn't know, he was, uh, he was sleeping over in his friend's house on, on the couch because he didn't want to rent a house in New York because he didn't know when he was going to be cut. A few days before, he went to his coach and asked if he should rent a house or not, and they didn't give him an answer. But then he led the struggling Knicks uh, over in this incredible win. Uh, and one of the best moments of insanity was in the fourth game. So they were having three game winning streak and the world was going crazy. They were about to uh, uh, play uh, LA Lakers and Kobe Bryant. And Co- the, the reporters asked him, do you know who this, have you been following Jeremy Lin like the whole world was? And Kobe said something like, Who is Jeremy? I don't even know who he is. And that evening, um, uh, um, Jeremy scored 38 points, outscoring Kobe, and led uh, Knicks um, to a win. You know, guys, some guys in the NBA do not score 38 points in the entire career, (laughs) right? He scored 38 points against Kobe Bryant. And at the end of the game, he had this look like, you know me now, right? You've heard of me now. Well, sorry, this is a, yeah. 400 years while, uh, for 400 years, Israelites were in Egypt. And nobody had ever heard of Yahweh God. Nobody. Yahweh was God of the slaves. And when Moses went up to Yahweh and said, look, you need to free these people because Yahweh told you so. Do you remember what his answer was in Exodus chapter 5 verse 2? He says, who is this Yahweh God? Who is is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israelites go? I do not know Yahweh. But then Exodus happened. This God of the slaves, out of nowhere, Moses with just one stick wielding nothing but a stick, destroyed all the gods of Egypt. You know, every single one of these ten plagues is directed against gods of Egypt. For example, he turned the Nile River into thick blood, uh, showing God's power over Hapi, Egyptian god of the Nile River. Another example, he brought darkness over the land of the sun, the land of Ra, the, the great sun god of Egypt. He brought death to the firstborn, showing that God, Yahweh alone, has uh, authority over life and death. Pharaoh found out who Yahweh, God, was. He knew who God was. And Israelites, more importantly, came to know this God out of nowhere. God showed his great power and might. And God was saying, now... You are mine. I am Yahweh God who's delivered you with my, uh, with my uh, uh, outstretched arm and mighty hand. I am your God who delivered you out of slavery. Now, you're my people. You listen to me. Which is to say that this is also grounded. The Ten Commandments are grounded in not just God's power and might, but in his grace. Make no mistake, keeping these commands wasn't, it wasn't a condition for their salvation. 
It wasn't that God gave these laws to God's people and said, if you keep them, I will deliver you out from Egypt. No, the order is the other way around. God delivered these people out of Egypt, and then he gives them God's law. Grace comes first, and then the law next. And that's how the book of Exodus is shaped as well. Exodus chapter 20 is when the Ten Commandments is first given. But 1 through 19 is the story of Exodus. It's about God's rescue. It's about God's grace. God rescues first and then gives them these commands. Church, that's the order of our life as well. God has rescued us through Jesus Christ. And if we keep these commands, it's because we know God's power and might and we know God's salvation and we have become God's people. And we know that in these commands are ways of freedom, ways of salvation, ways of enjoying God's grace continually. That's why we keep them. Not because we need to earn favor from God by keeping them. Think about it. To worship Yahweh God is to be free of idolatry in your life. All the things that bind you, all the things that oppress you. Yahweh God in Yahweh is freedom. In Jesus is our freedom. Think about Sabbath. To be able to rest means to enjoy God's provision for us. To say to our life, I am not God. All these idols are not God, but Yahweh is God. And he will provide for me is to enjoy God's grace. Uh, To uh, not take uh, life and death into our own hands and to trust God. That's a way of enjoying God's grace. Not to go outside of marriage um, in adultery. It's to enjoy God's design for marriage and the life that is flourishing for us. Law and grace are not pitted against each other. Law is given as a sign of God's grace. It's a means of enjoying God's grace for us. And legalism directly contradicts this, right? It goes against the spirit of the law because it doesn't point to grace. It points to itself. It points points to itself and says, look at my righteousness rather than God's grace. God's amazing grace and his rescue, his provisions for us. In a writer, Jen Wilkins, words, legalism is not the love of the law, but it it is its own form of lawlessness, Twisting the law for its own ends. To love the law is to understand uh, that our salvation has already been achieved. That this isn't a condition for salvation, but this is a way of enjoying God and who God is. So that is the goal in in this series. That as we go through the Ten Commandments, that we become a people who delight and meditate on these laws, to, to see the goodness of these laws and God's design and God's wisdom and understanding so that we are people who not only keep, uh, keep, people have to keep them, but want to keep them, want to live out of God's design for our life. And there are Ten Commandments, but the first is really the key in keeping the rest, all nine others. You shall have no other gods before me. In the end, this is the summary of the law, isn't it? You shall have no other gods before me because whenever we sin, we are saying, God, I don't want to listen to you. I want to listen to something that's less important than you. I want to have an idol called a shot for my life. That's what we're saying. You shall have no gods before me. 
But notice what the command does not say. It doesn't say, you better believe that there is one God. It's not a test of orthodoxy, whether you know the right thing, that there is one God. No, it's more practical. It's a test of loyalty. Will you listen to me and me alone? Not what you think, but in your life, do you have other gods and other voices that call the shots? That's what it's asking. Not whether you believe in one God, but whether you listen to Yahweh, the true God. It almost assumes that actually there are gods, other gods, right? You shall have no other gods before me. It's not that God doesn't know that he's the only true God. Of course he knows that, but God recognizes that there are other powers and idols that we worship, that we listen to, that we live in a broadly, in many ways, practically polytheistic world, in a world of many gods. Some people believe in Guan Yu, <laughs> the power, right? The power um, associated with him. Or, you know, other, uh, uh, for, for, for other people, it could be money or it could be um, status, um, even country. Uh, countries often demand to be worshipped like we worship God. Some people think reputation or family. All these other things could be gods that we worship in our life. Practically speaking, we all believe in the power of many other things, spiritual things, institutional things, or the things that we just really love in our hearts. We are to worship Yahweh, Jesus alone. Because you might say, yes, I know that there is only one God, but that's not what this is about. Will you worship this one God? And most of us, I think, will say, maybe, that, yes, I do listen to Yahweh God alone. But let's dig a bit deeper. Yes, I listen to God. But who else's voice do we also pay attention to? Who else's voice also calls a shot in our life? We say, I listen 